Welcome to See More, podcast about movies and TV. I'm Joan Gonzalez, the host, and this is episode five. This week, we're going to talk about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's hot off an Oscars win, and it captures everything that fans love about the webhead, storytelling, world building, and it does so in a way that we've never seen before. Animated. And it's not to say that we haven't seen a studio-budget animated Spider-Man film. It's that we've never seen an animated film like this, period. In case you aren't familiar, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse introduces Miles Morales, a Brooklyn teen that becomes the Spider-Man of his reality and crosses path with five different counterparts from other dimensions to stop a threat for all realities. That is a mouthful. And so's the movie. It captures this sort of time travel, multi-dimensions in such a seamless way, bringing in so much personality, but keeping a cohesive story intact. So let's actually run through some of the different Spider-Folks. Uh, Shameik Moore plays Miles Morales. Jake Johnson plays Peter B. Parker, which is the Spider-Man that we're all familiar with. Haley Steinfeld plays Gwen Stacy. Kimiko Glenn plays Penny Parker. Nicolas Cage plays Spider-Man Noir. And John Mulaney voices Spider-Ham. Phil Lord and Chris Miller produced the film. You might know them as the creative minds behind the Lego movie and 21 Jump Street. Two very refreshing films in their genre. There are also eight other producers totaling ten. So yeah, this was a huge project. The film also had three directors. Bob Parachetti, who was just tapped to direct the untitled sequel for Puss in Boots, which is now a film I want to see. Peter Ramsey, the first black director to win an Oscar for Best Animated Picture. And Rodney Rothman, who is slated to direct the untitled 21 Jump Street spinoff. Despite the three directors, 10 producers, and 177 animators, we'll get to that in a second, the film feels cohesive and it's a very streamlined experience even though the visuals are anything but. This week, I just want to hone in on the animation. I've, I've really never seen anything like it before. And to describe it as a moving comic book would not do it justice. Since winning the Oscar, they've released the first nine minutes of the film, so you should definitely check that out if you haven't already seen the film. Please watch that before listening to this. After you listen to this, go out and see the movie. That being said, let's just jump right into the conversation. And don't worry, no spoilers. And we're in. What's going on, dude? Thank you for having me back. Yeah. Joao, thank you for joining us again. You were on our first two episodes. Yeah, and you've been killing it since. I've been listening. Thank God the suits flew me out for this one. Yeah. I was feeling, you know, I was missing the show a lot. We definitely needed you. Uh, You were gone for two episodes, and it was an absolute disaster. (laughs) It didn't sound like it. We almost pulled the plug twice. I had to convince the suits, listen, I need, I need my co-host or my, my guest, my featured guest, <laughs> got to bring him out. And the numbers didn't lie, so, so you're back. People really like the stammering and the ums and the likes, yeah. I guess. But yeah, I'm, I'm really happy you're here because we both saw this movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, for the first time together. Yep. You've seen the film three times, right? Yes. In theaters? Yep. Okay, I've only seen it twice this is such a rewatchable movie for so many reasons, but I think the animation itself, every time I see the movie, I, I notice something new. Yeah, it, that's something that definitely jumped out. And it was really exciting as well to rewatch it because I just knew, I, I mean, I knew the very first time I watched it, I realized what attention to detail everyone involved had put into it. So much so that I remember seeing frames and thinking, oh man, I definitely missed something. Because I would be watching, you know, the left side of the frame and I just could and I knew that the frame was just filled with so much detail that I couldn't wait until I saw it again 
And there was actually a bunch of things that I picked up on, I think, the third time. Yeah. That I hadn't even picked up the second time, which is wild to me. That's how deep every single frame is. Yeah. And this is going to be a really fun movie. When it comes out on DVD, everyone's going to tweet stills of things in the background that we haven't. And it's already kind of started. Yeah. And I know that the animators have been posting things on Twitter. That's been so much fun. Yeah. To see them post these little like Easter eggs. I saw several Stanley cameos in the background where he's just kind of a walking pedestrian or he's taking the train. And I've seen a couple of animators post those. That's been really fun. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's definitely the the biggest thing I took away from the film is how much love and care was put into it and how obvious it was that everyone involved truly believed in it and cared about the project because it just oozes enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, and, and as you watch it, you can react to it and you feel it and you can feel how much thought and genuine ambition went into the project. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that's why it's such a blast to watch because you can tell that it was a blast to make. Absolutely. And Insider posted a great article about the logistics that went into making the film and some of the methods that the animators used. Hmm. I know they're trying to patent the animation style but they just used a combination of a bunch of techniques. First, right off the bat, the film had 177 animators, and that's more than twice the typical animated film. And to put that into perspective, the 1995 Toy Story had 27 animators. Wow. Even that for his time, I believe, was quite innovative. So it took a week to animate a second of footage, And it normally takes a week for four seconds, but it took them initially, it took them a year to get 10 seconds that they were happy with. So those are kind of the building blocks of the film. And it makes so much sense, right? Yeah. It translates like there is not a wasted frame. Yeah. In the film. Like everything seemed purposeful. And I think that that just, you know, confirms what you can feel in a theater, which is a lot of people put a lot of work into it. It's almost, I'm surprised this film works as well as it does. The numbers alone I talked about in the introduction, 10 producers, three directors, up to 177 animators. First of all, solid script. It's astounding how something so cohesive can come from so many hands in the pot. 10 producers, 10 producers. How many times yeah. did one of the 10 producers like walk by a desk and be like, I, don't, I obviously don't know how the day-to-day was, but like, oh, we need this. We yeah. need this and that and this and that. And, but thinking back on it, I can't see this project working without that much talent behind the scenes. Yeah. It takes that much talent to kind of make this movie happen. And it, it's just, it's also very crazy to think about 10 producers, that's 10 executive decision makers. Yeah. How do you create something so focused and so clear in its identity with 10? I mean, obviously, these people have to be on the exact same page, but... And incredibly great at their jobs. Let's just go out and say there are films with far less creative minds behind the scenes Mm -hmm. that just don't happen because of creative differences. Right. It happens all the time. And Sony, while it has a great track record with Spider-Man movies... Obviously, the Sony leaks that came out last year, I mean, at the highest level, there's clearly been controversy there. Yeah. So for this to like make its way through every step of development and the production and to come out as well as it has is 
a miracle onto itself. It's almost like everything Sony is good at in one, right? Like, yeah. And real quick to your point, they have a good track record as far as making Spider-Man films. Absolutely. But the final products. I mean, Spider-Man three was a mess because of infamously creative plagued, differences, plagued by creative differences. And then the, the Andrew amazing, Garfield, uh, what was it? Two? They made two of those. Yeah, the amazing Spider-Man series. There were two films. Yeah, a lot of controversy there with a lot of different hands in the pot and w- the future of what Spider-Man would look like under Sony was very unclear. It was very clear that with every project, there were very divisive creative differences. And I should note that Avia Rad is also a producer on this film. He's been a producer on Spider-Man films since the original Raimi Spider-Man movie. And he's mm. been a producer on every film a couple of these producers have worked on these failed Spider-Man projects. And you have to imagine that they've taken the lessons that they've learned. And obviously it's paid off here. And yeah. that's that in itself is very reassuring as I'm sure, you know, young filmmakers looking in, people trying to get into the business, these executives learning from their mistakes. That in itself is also very inspiring to me for yeah. some reason. Last kind of point on that is if... At the Oscars, the Best Picture Award is awarded to the producers of a film. I think for that reason alone, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse should have been nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, that's If anything, great... to just, you know, acknowledge the producers. Yeah, I was hoping that it would get nominated for Best Picture, and I think it was worthy of it this year. Agreed. So, according to that Insider article, they gave us great insight. You see what I did there? Very good on some of the techniques that the animators used. By the way, I keep thinking that when I when you first said insider, I thought you meant your insider. Like you had someone oh, on yeah, the Oh yeah, my plug. Yeah. Just giving you all this information, but now I understand it's insider the magazine. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Now I got a boy working on the he's a, <laughs> Yeah, insider. Again, go read the piece if you don't like reading. They also made a video, so just watch it. Let's start with frame rate. So animated films usually have 24 frames per second and creating a different image on the frame is known as animating on the ones. So Spider-Man broke the mold and animated much of the movie on twos as well. So they kept some of the same images on screen for two frames. The producers described this as a crunchy animation style. So it feels like each pose lasts longer. Gotcha. Which is absolutely brilliant because some characters would animate on the ones while other on the twos. From a story perspective, Miles is animated on the twos because he's clumsy while the experienced Peter Parker is on the one because he's more skilled. So visually, his animation is going to be a lot smoother than Miles' animation, which is super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So if Miles is slower than Peter, he's kind of dragging a little, both visually and just by the frame, uh, his animation style is different than Peter Parker's. I think this is kind of game-changing, and that's kind of the foundation of why the... movie feels different because you've got these i think six characters six different spider-man all animated differently all moving in a different style on one screen Hmm. i wonder if and again no spoiler obviously but as the movie goes on miles obviously learns more about his powers and i wonder if towards the end of the movie i did notice the animation for miles was incredibly smooth yeah, like towards the end of the movie. And I wonder if that's just the result of his animation being on the ones, you know, as opposed to twos earlier on in the film. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. It's it's great when something 
isn't just this unique sort of visual style, but it has a narrative purpose right. all the way through. Much like Sunflower by Swaley and Post Malone wasn't just this single that the movie had. The song. It, it, the the yeah. song. It had a huge narrative beat in the movie. It, it just shows how much care they put into this film all the way through, right? Everything's done with purpose, with intention, while having this flair and this, it just oozes personality. Mm-hmm. So another technique they used was smear, and they used this instead of using motion blur. A lot of people are familiar with motion blur. It's a CGI trick that sort of smooths the visuals by the frame, so it kind of smooths that transition over and makes everything feel a bit realer. Instead, they used an old technique, which is smear, which is drawing the animation on the same frame. So let's use Spider-Ham in the film. He's got this hammer, He's wagging it around. So instead of moving the hammer frame by frame, they'll draw a couple of smaller hammers to the left and to the right to kind of indicate movement. So this was used a lot in early cartoons to create a sense of motion. And it's funny when when you see these techniques used with such high quality and modern visuals, that juxtaposition I feel like shouldn't work. Hmm. But because you have those five, six different characters from different universes. All of these different techniques can be unique to each character and Mm. bring out more personality. I feel like motion blur would take away from the comic book kind of crunchy aesthetic that they, that the producer said they were trying to accomplish. And I feel like also motion blur would add this noise to the frame. Yeah. You know, whereas I felt the whole film was incredibly sharp as far as visually and color wise as well and i'm sure motion blur i mean if you think about the concept of motion blur you're taking the colors in the frame and you're blending them together yeah in during movement and i think if you eliminate that and you just use this smear technique you can keep a lot of the integrity of the colors in the frame and you have full control over every single hue because you're never really blending anything yeah you know and the transition between each frame Mm -hmm. is much cleaner because those colors don't blend, like you said. So co-director Phil Lord actually says that if you freeze any part of the movie at any time, it should look like an illustration with hand-drawn touches and all. So this brings us to another point. Clearly, this film wanted to look like a comic book movie. This film kind of took it to another level and used a bunch of different techniques to accomplish that visual style that we're talking about to make it feel like an animated 2D comic book. Mm, Like what? Well, so there are moments in the film when hand-drawn still images pop up in shots to replace the computer animation. Hmm. These kind of serve as splash pages. So if Spider-Man strikes a pose, then they'll show this hand-drawn frame and it'll kind of like hold on it for a little bit. And then we're back to the animation. I think I did notice those moments, but they never felt jarring. Yeah. You know, they never felt out of place, like, and they never felt forced in any way. It never felt like the movie was telling you, hey, check out this drawing, you know? Yeah. It always felt very grounded into the world that they, that they already established, which, you know, kudos to them. Yeah. So they layered some 2D ink lines on top of 3D art when something would pop. So spider senses they would draw them with 2D lines. If you look at some of the older comic books, this is 
super cool. They have some pages where the ink is misprinted. So they would create this illusion where some of the animations like just a little off hmm. this like faux 3d effect and oh right yeah i know exactly what you're talking about and they use that in some of the backgrounds in the movie which is awesome because those ink misprints are so specific to comic books and they were so not intentional that the film went out of its way to replicate that and i actually thought it was an error i thought we had walked into a 3d viewing and I like, you know, when you watch a 3D movie and you take your glasses off to like rub your eyes because they're exhausted from <laughs> and you're like, whoa, hold on. What is it? And everything looks kind of blurry. That's kind of how some of the backgrounds look in this film. And it took me a little bit to get adjusted to them. But it's really cool that they included that. And that's something that is such a minor, like who's whoever, whoever's idea, whichever one of the 10 producers <laughs> Or three directors. <laughs> or 177 animators thought to do that should get a raise. So that specific technique, it's really funny because the first time I watched the trailer for the movie, I was genuinely worried that the whole film would look that way. Yeah. I think they used a lot of the footage that uses that technique. And I just thought that, that, was, that the whole film was going to be distractingly blurry or distractingly hard to watch. Well, how long did it take for your eyes to adjust? Almost immediately. I think the very first couple frames, of the first scene or so of the film, it takes like, honestly, like 15 seconds. And once your eyes adjust to the animation style and, and the way that everything is presented, you don't even think about it. And this could have gone south, I think. Yeah. The opening shot is the Marvel logo, and then they layer it with a bunch of different like spray paint and a bunch of different styles and the music's kind of like, oh, this is like something you've never seen before. Like yeah. they're kind of gearing you up. And I was like, oh no, this could be really cheesy. Like, or they're, hard to watch. Or hard to yeah. watch. And it absolutely wasn't. It was immediately like, oh no. that Because they were kind of like flexing in just the logo. And I was like, oh, okay, well, hold on now. Yeah. Like this is a bit much. I just want to watch the movie. Hopefully this isn't overwhelming. And I think that when you watch the film, especially on rewatch, I remember watching the intro and understanding that even the the opening titles serve a plot yeah. uh, service. Everything is done with intention. Yeah, man. But all right. Yeah. So you have the ink misprint. What else did they do to give that comic book feel? Because I feel like there were other things going on too. Yeah. So they also used half toning, which uses dots to create colors and gradients. So shadows were created with hatching, which were also these crisscross lines to showcase, you know, shadows. They used a lot of these illustration techniques that they used on old comics. Well, I think I do remember reading somewhere that uh, back uh, specifically in the 50s, to preserve ink and to preserve time, the artists would, instead of shading in an entire so for example if it's nighttime instead of shading in the entire sky pure black or whatever they would use that technique where it was black dots and you would just know that oh, okay the sky is dark instead yeah. of shading the entire the entire panel yeah and that's so neat that they also use those things here and how far we've come that modern audiences have grown accustomed to these techniques and they're being used as stylistic choices as opposed to as opposed to out of necessity right it's become aesthetic now 
Whereas it was a functional thing yeah. back in the day. Yeah. I don't want to get into spoiler territory here, but in the film, they use these dots to showcase kind of energy from different dimensions. These, 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 all these techniques in cohesion led to Spider-Ham winning Best Picture at the 2019 Oscars. Yeah, Spider-Ham. It was Spider-Ham into the Hamverse. It was really great. I really thought it was going to win Best Animated, but of course that one... That one went to Green Book, which... Weird was super weird very strange i do like i'll tell you what though i liked that miles morales character in the movie yeah i wish his role was a little bigger i think he was in like two minutes of the film but it was very it would have been really weird to have him be the lead yeah i don't know if they would have won best picture i don't the case i don't think so either i maybe maybe they would have maybe they would have had a shot at best animated i can't imagine green book not winning best animated honestly honestly So those abstract dots that they used were called Kirby Crackles from a legendary Marvel artist, Jack Kirby. Hmm. That's what he was known for. And these kind of abstract balls of energy just kind of created the illusion of, I guess, interdimensional travel. Sick. And they also just used a lot of general techniques like uh, lines of actions to show movement comic signature onomatopoeia so like words on the screen words on the page to if a car breaks very rapidly it'll just be like skrr and and kind of show yeah yeah all of that stuff just really adds to the experience but it never felt gimmicky yeah exactly it never felt like a gimmick it always felt like that's just the world we're in and it felt real and that's what's so funny is this is one of the most emotionally mature films of the year too i think part of the reason it didn't feel gimmicky was because as we said before there are narrative reasons behind these so whenever they would use the words on the page let's say miles is getting his powers he'd be like why can i hear my thoughts or why can i see my thoughts and as an audience member you see that being you know written out above his head so even though it's a stylistic thing of like this is how things look like in a comic book He's also self-aware of that, and that demonstrates his kind of his powers or his his heightened awareness. Yeah. So they'll show different panels and be like, kind of frame by frame, what's yeah. happening in his real time, while still preserving sort of this comic book aesthetic. Yeah. So Vulture also wrote a great article about the animation in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and in that article, the VFX supervisor Danny Dimian said. Creatively, the biggest challenge was to make sure that all of these different ideas fit together. We wanted to break the mold, break the machine, we would say. There were a few of these things as a VFX supervisor I was trying to ensure. First and foremost was to support the story. We want to be out there, but not too crazy or disjointed that it takes away from the story. So that kind of falls in line with everything we said about you can aesthetically go places, but always reel it in with intention yeah and i wonder how just in line with what we've been saying and how they took all of these risks and all these risks seemingly paid off i wonder how that on a large scale panned out so it did well right the film like a lot of people saw the film so it did well it did well critically i think it's sitting at uh, 97 on rotten tomatoes and it's made to date, uh, $359.7 million. Mm, a lot of money. A lot of money. I typed this in a Google, and I also saw, and I want to bring this up, 
The Incredibles 2 made $1.243 billion. That's more money. It's a lot more money. How does that happen? Especially when this film came out in December. You would think film for the holidays, yeah. families going out to see it. Venom, which is another film by Sony, made $855 million. It's also a lot more money. Yeah. A lot of that is overseas. Venom made a bunch of money. But even on a smaller scale, Bumblebee made $459.2 million. Okay, yeah. So that $359 million doesn't seem like so much anymore. At all. No. So I bring this up to say that financially it made enough to the point where they want to do more spinoffs. So they're making a Gwen Stacy spinoff. Oh, cool. With the same animation style. They're considering other spinoffs. And critically, it did really well. It won an Oscar. Yeah. That's huge. That's a big deal. And all of the other directors, one of the directors I said in the intro is doing a Puss in Boots uh, sequel. So the other one's doing an Untitled 21 Jump Street reboot slash spinoff thing. So the people working on this film have a lot of opportunity because of this film. And this was a great... But on its own, if you were just to look at the numbers, I was disappointed. At least just for myself. I, I'm glad that it did very well and that it's kind of become this cultural hit yeah. but i wish it made a little more money just because again i see the incredibles 2 which is a good movie uh 1.243 billion that's the power of pixar you know that sony wants to get to that point they want that pixar credibility yeah it's a little frustrating and what worries me is that this film which made half as much as venom and a fourth of what the incredibles 2 made i just hope that that performance doesn't limit the amount of time and risks that they're able to take on whatever spinoff or whatever sequel comes after it. I just hope that it doesn't affect that the studio is scared to invest as much time and resources and is scared to take as many risks on whatever future projects. Absolutely. It took the specific 10 producers and three directors to really bring the best out of this vision. I really hope that they don't just start also pumping out a bunch of movies. Like we're seeing that with the Lego movie. I saw the Lego movie two the other day. It took us a couple of years to get there. Between that, we had a Ninjago movie, which I'm sure... What, you tell me what that is. I never saw it. Yeah. You have no idea what that is. Yeah. We had that. We had a Batman movie. I really hope now that they've figured out this formula, they don't start pumping stuff out. That is just close as aesthetically, but not right made with the same care. Right. Because I think it devalues kind of the the work and, and the specific... The aesthetic came from a vision that these 300 people had. <laughs> <laughs> these 9,000 people. Yeah. But it did. And so I hope that any future Spider-Verse movie is treated with the same care. I want to talk about the future of this film and how you think people will remember this movie. It just won an Oscar, and that's a really big deal for an animated film, especially an animated film like this that took so many creative liberties. Do you think this film will pave the way for more artists to maybe get into animation with a style that, that is a bit unorthodox for, you know, anime? Because Pixar has kind of dominated that field, and we're used to a certain animation style. Do you think this film will kind of pave the way for new artists to come in and take creative liberties with animation moving forward? I personally am more excited than I ever have been for future animated films, especially in the superhero genre. They can exist on the big screen 
in a way that we've never seen before. That's really exciting to me. Yeah, I think that on a big scale, on a macro scale, I think this film definitely changes the perception of animation in that genre. I think there are a handful of animated feature films in the superhero genre that can kind of hold the torch as far as uh, credibility and as far as people respecting it as a feature film. I know that there is that Batman animated film. Yeah. Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah. Which is critically acclaimed. Yeah, they're just like basically a very small handful of films that have been able to do what this film has done. And I think that studios are more likely to take a chance on projects like this. But I think on a more personal scale, what this does for animators, up and coming younger animators, yeah, that they can see that there is job opportunity in projects like this. I believe this is one of the, the most diverse I was just animation say, teams. Like, how about that representation? Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing that an animation team as diverse as this one has an Oscar. And I'm sure we'll open the door for future production houses and future studios to give more opportunity to animators of color. And on Twitter, I mean, it's become such a social, such a cultural thing that like, and I don't mean to say this in any kind of demeaning way, but like animation's cool again, man. Like, it's so cool to see these animators just like proud of their work and just posting it online and being a part of the conversation and it being treated like a piece of art. But I feel like one of these 177 animators are just like real people who are just like really proud of their work and can just be proud of it in public. Yeah. And as individuals too. As individuals. And that's also a really cool thing. I've been seeing these animators use their platform too to shine a light on young animators who are inspired by the film that's been really cool to see on twitter yeah there's a lot of the all three directors and a lot of the animators that worked on the film will retweet will shout people out who have been who have watched the film and have been inspired to either pick up animation or post the animation that they are passionate about yeah and it's it's just so great to see let's close with some rapid fire cues oh actually kind of prepared these okay i haven't no anything prepared as usual (laughs) no absolutely not the first rapid fire question is who do you think was the hardest spider character to animate well that's a good question maybe um i'm not sure i i weirdly want to say it's a trick question and it was spider-man noir wrong oh okay that was actually right i was so ready to just be like wrong The CG supervisor, Michael Lasker, said that Noir was the most stylized character and he was extra challenging since he was drawn in only black and white but required detailed textures and shading. Yeah, see? That was good. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Which Spider-Man character was your favorite? This is kind of a softball. There's no wrong This is a softball, man. You're teeing me up and I'm not going to take the bait. I'm going to go hip here. I'm going to say my favorite character Mm. was Aunt May. That was pretty hip. I mean, I think Aunt May was also another character that was just turning the character on its head in such a fun way. Yeah. She was like weirdly this Alfred character to Spider-Man's Batman. So great. Yeah, so good. There's a Gwen Stacy spinoff in development. They're talking about other spinoffs. Which character would you like to see spun off personally? I would love to see the Spider-Man noir, like a full-length Spider-Man noir film. How great would that be? He was hilarious, dude. He just had, he was just so entertaining. His character was... Probably the most niche 
it was just so specific to a yeah. time and to a type of character but it was so much fun to watch would you be like opposed to watching a a noir and spider ham collab like just like both of them in one film that'd be amazing like just a buddy cop situation between just, those two just have nicholas cage and john mulaney riff. go back and forth <laughs> yeah just absolutely riff and last thing to kind of get excited about let's speak it into existence can we now get a batman beyond animated film oh my god that'd be amazing how great would that be that'd be it would work so well like the foundation is already laid yeah i think everyone now sees that people are into this next gen crop of characters like miles morales which is a relatively recent addition of the They're kind of passing the torch character right yeah so yeah the batman beyond would be perfect yeah why not so we spoke that into existence. Hopefully we get that. Thank you for being on, Joao. Thank you for having me again, man. It's been, yeah. it's been great. Well, we haven't had any other guests. So this is literally your chair. Once you do, I have a feeling I will be very jealous. <laughs> I have a feeling it's just going to rub me the worst way. So beware, whoever you bring on as another guest other than me, instant enemy. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. But where can, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me Instagram and Twitter, Softglass, S-O-F-T-G-L-A-S. I make music too, so I guess you can listen that's to that. That's a thing, yeah. Same same deal, Softglass, that's my name for some reason, so go check it out. Awesome, dude. Thank you. Thank you, man. That was this week's show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. You can hear new episodes of Seymour every week on Tuesdays on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And remember, Seymour is just one of many shows that Cesspool has to offer. For more info, visit cesspoolnetwork.com to see our full weekly lineup or follow at Cesspool Network on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Juwan underscore chirps, on Instagram at Juwan underscore snaps, or follow what I watch on Letterboxd at Juwan Gonzalez. See you next week.